Hello again, everyone. It's Nahum Siegel with JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM and the AM. Turo College, in advance of their um, accelerated admissions day, we spoke with Dr. Marion Stoltz-Loike, the dean of Turo, about the importance of getting a real education. That conversation with Dr. Marion Stoltz-Loike is next on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Thursday morning broadcast, JM in the AM. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I said earlier that um, we would be speaking about a very important program um, uh, brought again by our uh, brought again, not only meaning again because they've done it before, but as you would suspect, a good program of value to our community in the world of education is going to be brought by Turo College. And sure enough, Dean Stoltz Leike, who is the uh, Lander College for Women uh, Dean at Turo College and Vice President of Online Education at Turo is uh, with us live via telephone as they get set for their Accelerated Admissions Day coming up this coming Tuesday. Uh, Dean, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Nahum, it's always a pleasure to be here. I have to tell you, uh, first of all, I love listening to you and listening to your show. Thank you. But beyond that, um, I love being interviewed by you because you always make me sound better than I do. So uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I hope all the guests feel that way, but thank you very much. Um, you're welcome. I came up with an expression this morning that you're going to love. I, I literally came up with it. I wrote it down. I said, this is right up your alley. You know <laughs> you know what my attitude is to people, who, students and parents who think they're clever when they, when they pursue shortcuts in the world of higher education. You know what I think of that. Um, it, 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 I mean, it, again, you know, it may work for some, but as a general rule, we encourage people to go to, and here it is, here's the new expression, Dean, to go to real classes, real courses, and get real degrees. That is what, that is my new campaign to get students and their parents to understand, uh, the importance and just how big a difference it is when you are going to real classes, meaning in person, Right, not online, but in person. Real courses, and you know what that means, because I'm sure you spend your year uh, developing real coursework with your professors and teachers, and real degrees. And when you leave the the uh, established university, in your case, or established higher uh, um, uh, co- college or school of higher education, you have a real degree, a real degree to be proud of, and not something that you know. Again, uh, it, that that has the word shortcut written all over it. So, Dean, what do you think of my new expression of my new campaign? So the first thing is, of course, I love it. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's great. And I think it fits with a lot of what I've been thinking about, which is why do we do what we do? And our goal is to transform people's lives. Yeah. Uh, and particularly at the Lander College for Women, to transform women's lives right. by giving them opportunities through education. And I think apropos of what you're talking about, people very often don't realize what they miss if they're not on campus in a classroom. So the idea is there are these serendipitous moments where you're walking out of a class and your professor is leaving at the same time. And you have a question. You say, Professor, do you have just a few minutes? Can I ask you a quick question? And you ask that quick question. The student asks that quick question. And it turns into an hour-long discussion a student finds a career path that's so important for her, but also for the parnasa of her family. Yep. It's something that she can engage in. 
Uh, On the other hand, when you're doing something remotely, and we've seen this over the last year, of course, what happens is a student finishes a class and sends an email to the professor and says, I have a question, sends the question to the professor, and the professor writes back. The professor's responsive, but it's a 30-second email exchange. And the ability to engage people is something that can only happen in a campus. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so yeah. I'm so afraid that the floodgates <laughs> of, of more um, uh, examples are going to start coming out of my mouth because as you're saying all this, I'm thinking of a hundred other examples, uh, not just in the social aspect. And by the way, look what Turo and Lander has done with the social aspect. You know, one of the things that many people are concerned about, rightfully so, and I'm not at all criticizing those who go to secular universities in this country, a decision they make for a variety of reasons, but so many parents and students are concerned about Jewish life, proper life, etc. Yeah. Look look what you've done. You've set a you you've set aside a a proper atmosphere and a good atmosphere for people and a positive atmosphere I should say because let, let's say everything else is neutral around the country but a positive atmosphere for young people in our community so uh, again the floodgates could open with so many other aspects of the benefits of being on campus being in class being in between class uh, being there in the morning evening etc I mean there's just so much uh, so I didn't mean That's to interrupt nice. you I just you know I'm, I'm thinking of a, no, a thousand other benefits frankly a hundred percent and I think. What you're talking about in terms of the atmosphere is so important because setting the proper atmosphere is a given and making sure we have a Torah environment is a given. Beyond that, though, is what we expect of ourselves. We expect ourselves within the framework of Torah, within the framework of a proper environment to really enable students to get an an education that is, I would say, equal or surpasses anything they could get in another university. Yep, very simple. And so yep. look at what our students are doing. Your your daughter, you know, I, I love hearing about her <laughs> going on to nursing. We have students in the health sciences, in medicine, going on to programs at Harvard, at Columbia, going to places like Google, getting jobs there. It just keeps going. Depends on what field they're interested in. But our students are competitive for whatever they'd like to do. And, 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 and you could tell me if I'm wrong, but when they're applying for those jobs, from nursing to Google and everything in between, when they're applying for those jobs, when they walk in with that real degree that we talked about, they are going to get offered probably a better package than if they walk in with you know a, a suspect degree. And I, I, I don't th- I, it has to be that way. I can't imagine that someone would sit there and, and – and not understand what the uh, applicant's educational background is based on what they're presenting. I think that's true. I think even more than that, though, is that we've come to realize that the bones of education is just the beginning. It's the whole environment we're presenting. So, for example, career services is a very, very important part of the educational experience. Getting internships and other experiences that enable our students to translate what they're learning in the classroom into their future professional environment, even before they've started working, is extremely important. And beyond that, their ability to talk about the jobs they've had, the internships they've had, and how it makes them understand the field that they're going into definitely makes them more competitive in the marketplace. And that's why, you know, you mentioned that we're doing this accelerated admissions day 
next week. Yeah. Even there, we're having career services be present. Yeah. So as students think about what am I going to do? What is my future career going to be doing? They have the experts to talk about that with them and what we can do to help them as well. Uh, let me let me go through the <laughs> – we're talking about everything except for Tuesday <laughs> because when you come on, I have all these philosophical <laughs> observations I like to make, and I love hearing your comments about it. Let me go through the information for everybody about what's happening Tuesday, and then we'll circle back and uh, explain uh, why it's such a critical – a program that Toro's put together, this accelerated admissions, especially now in the, whatever you want to call it, middle of, aftermath, whatever you want to call it, of the pandemic. First of all, on Tuesday, it's it's Lander College-wide. It's Toro-wide. August the 17th is coming Tuesday. Accelerated admissions days. They're going to make it very easy. Transfer credits will be reviewed. Application fees will be waived. Uh, there'll be plenty of information about financial aid, scholarships, and a potential career path. Placement exams will be available on site. It's happening at the Lander College for Men at 150th Street in Kew Gardens Hills between noon and 5. It's happening at Lander College for Women on West 60th Street in Manhattan between 9.30 in the morning and 4.30 in the afternoon. It's happening at Lander College of Arts and Sciences on Avenue J in Brooklyn for women from 10 until 2 and for men from 4.30 until 6.30. It's happening at Mahon La Parnassa, same building on Avenue J for women from 10 until 2 and again, men from 4.30 until 6.30. And it's happening at Turo School for Lifelong Education on 53rd Street in Brooklyn, and that's from 10 a.m. until 7.30 p.m. All of the WhatsApp numbers and names of the people you want to speak to regarding each and every individual location are on the website, turo.edu slash Lander Colleges. Again, turo.edu slash Lander Colleges. Dean Marion Stoltz-Leike is with us uh, live via telephone. So, Dean, why why is Tuesday so critical in the middle or aftermath of this pandemic? It's an excellent question. So obviously we're calling it an accelerated admissions day, but I think what's important for everyone to keep in mind is normally we're not accepting students this late in the game. Right. We start our orientation on August 23rd, which is just obviously not even a week after the accelerated admissions day, but we know how difficult this last year, almost year and a half has been for so many people. And so we know that there are a lot of people who might have intended to apply and didn't, didn't get around to it, and now are panicking. They're thinking, what am I going to do in the fall? I need an education. I need that to build my future. What do I do? And that's why, I, and Nachum, I think you know this, one of the hallmarks of Turo is we are very, very student-oriented. So we decided, even this late in the game, we are going to have an accelerated admissions day. So for those people who are involved, for whatever reason, were not able to apply earlier, they don't have to worry. Yeah. They can come, they can apply, and they know that they will be able to start the semester with everyone else. Yeah, they could be in, they and, could, they could be in orientation Monday morning. Exactly. And we're at all the schools, we're having really a full-court press. It's not just there's going to be one person to speak to. There is everyone. Our, you mentioned financial aid. It's, it's right. our financial aid ex- experts. It's our admissions staff. It is our advisors, our career services. But then also advisors 
pre-med advisors, health science advisors, psychology advisors, a lot of people who can give students really very, very specific information, baseline information. What do I do? What will my courses look like? What will my education look like? What is my career path? And ultimately, what do I need to do to get the job that I want? I tell students all the time to come with a dream, and it's our goal to help them achieve those dreams. They have to do well in school, but it's our goal to help them achieve those dreams. And this is really the first step in doing that. Lander College's Accelerated Admissions Day. It's happening on all the campuses on Tuesday. The 17th of August is coming Tuesday. Go to um, turo.edu slash Lander Colleges for all the details, locations, and contact info for each individual campus. You'll learn about financial aid scholarships. You'll be able to meet with the deans and advisors. You are instructed and asked to bring copies of your transcripts. You'll get and receive an immediate admissions decision. Transfer credits will be reviewed. Application fees will be waived. Placement exams will be available on site. I I guess, uh, Dean, that's really the only real instruction in terms of preparation for this is show up with the transcript, right? That's the most important thing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's the most important thing. So this way we can talk to students immediately and move them through the process almost instantaneously. So that's exactly right. Um, and, and the other thing is it's helpful for the students. You know, they will get a real sense of being in school. Look, for all of us, how many students do we have who have not been on campus for a year and a half? Yeah. This is the opportunity to see and to feel and to get to know us. Is your campus going to be start. normal? Excuse the expression. Is your campus going to be normal? Is it going to be 100% back to normal? It's an excellent question. What we decided to do is to give students lots of different options. So I would say we are back to normal. We will be in a classroom. But what we're going to do also is provide some Zoom classes. Because we know also some of our students want to get jobs and internships. This way they can do it. They can come to campus two days a week, Zoom into their classes the other two days, or take asynchronous classes so they have total flexibility. But my point so being, ideas, my point yeah. being, if a student wants to interact with other students and their professors, yeah. they'll, they'll have that opportunity to do so. It's most of the, listen, 90% right. is in a classroom. Right. Back to normal in quotes, nobody knows what normal is anymore. Right. But the idea is back to normal um, and then flexibility for our students because we know that they want that. Um, I mean, you went through a lot. We, we were going to speak about some of the academic opportunities, but you listed a lot of them when, we went, when you went through the academic advisors. I mean, there's basically no area of higher education or, or undergraduate education that you're not covering at this point, right? Would that be accurate? I think it, it very much is, yeah. and it's exciting to see what our students are doing. Some of the projects they've created in psychology, I, um, I teach one of the senior honors thesis courses. And to listen to what our students come up with in terms of technology, one of our students created an app for charcoal drawing. Wow. Um, (laughs) It's incredible. They are doing, and they're so smart. They're so talented. um, And students are happy. I mean, that's the other thing when you were talking about being back on campus. And Nachum, I invite you to visit us. Like to there do that, is a buzz on campus all the time, yeah. and students will come back like after the Yom Tovim. They'll walk into my office and they'll say, "I'm so happy to be here. 
I really missed being on campus. I'm so happy to be back. By the way, isn't our very own Rabbi Goldwasser a member of your campus? Of course. Yeah. He is Baruch Hashem. Yeah, he's we amazing. Are so lucky. He enriches students' lives. I always, I always say that there must be three of him because <laughs> what he does and what he accomplishes and his ability to be present at so many different things within the film community is amazing. You know, you, is, know, you, know you could ask one. I'm lucky. sorry. No, I was going to say you could ask one of your star students to create an app where, where there are three of them, you know, instead of uh, instead of just one. With the way technology is going and how clever these <laughs> students are, they're going to think of all this stuff and they're going to end up doing all of it, which is pretty insane, frankly. Um, real classes, real courses, real degrees. Dean, I'm telling you right now, if I see that on a billboard, Rabbi Krupka is going to hear from me. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to demand royalties on that one. <laughs> I'm sending him an email right away and you know you're gonna, Carl Mayer Davar Bishem Omro. So uh, I definitely will tell him with attribution. You're going to testify on my behalf. I appreciate that. <laughs> Good luck on Tuesday. I hope a lot of students and their parents have listened carefully to this conversation men and women, and we'll take advantage of the Lander College Accelerated Admissions Day. A lot of students right now are making real last-minute decisions. I know they always do, but in this COVID era, they are making last-minute decisions. They are pivoting and changing and, and being flexible. Well, you're also being flexible over at Turo uh, because you'll literally um, help people get admitted one week and have them in orientation the following week, which is pretty amazing. Information about all the campuses, men, women, etc., at um, – at Turo, um, meaning the men's campus, the women's campus, and then the Lander College of Arts and Sciences in Brooklyn, the Turo School for Lifelong Education in, in on 53rd Street in Brooklyn, all of that. Uh, you go to turo.edu slash landercolleges, turo.edu slash landercolleges. Again, it's this Tuesday. Parents spend some time telling the students why this is a good idea. Um, trust me, it's a good idea. Real classes, real courses, real degrees. It is a life changer. They will look back when they've really made it in this world. They will look back that, thank God, they, they walked into their first profession with a real education. Uh, Dean uh, Marion Stoltz-Leike, uh, good luck as the semester starts, and a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to you. You too, Nachum. Thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate having the opportunity for a real discussion. It's a pleasure. <laughs> and... Uh, the same to you. Have a, a wonderful, to you and your family, a wonderful Shana Tova, a sweet, happy, healthy New Year. Much appreciated. There she is, Dean Marion Stoltz-Leike, Dean of Turo's Lander College for Women. Uh, Tuesday's Accelerated Admissions Day. Take advantage and tell the young people in the community to take advantage. Ah, I'll tell you. What did my grandmother used to say? You can talk till you're blue in the face. <laughs> Will the young people ever listen? <laughs> anyway, hey, big thank you. And uh, again, information, just go just go to turo.edu slash Lander Colleges. More coming up. It's a, uh, what is today? Thursday at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with the Turo College Dean, Dr. Marion Stoltz-Leike. Rabbi Yehuda Sarna is Chief Rabbi of the Jewish Council of the Emirates. He wrote a prayer recently to commemorate the first anniversary of the Abraham Accords. He joined us recently on JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, as the world marks the first anniversary of the Abraham Accords, highlighting the new relationship between the UAE and Israel, the Chief Rabbinate in the UAE has created a special prayer for synagogues around the world to mark the historic occasion, the prayer will be distributed to more than a thousand synagogues around the world, including those associated with the Rabbinical Council 
of America. August the 13th, this is uh, a year ago tomorrow, August the 13th, the U.S., the United Arab Emirates, rather, and Israel announced that they would be establishing relations, followed by Bahrain and Israel on September the 11th, and days later on September 15th, the three countries signed the Abraham Accords Declaration, which stated the recognition of the importance of maintaining and strengthening peace in the Middle East and around the world based on mutual understanding and coexistence, as well as respect for human dignity and freedom, including religious freedom. Chief Rabbi of the UAE is our good friend Rabbi Yehuda Sarna. He is with us live via telephone. Rabbi Sarna, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Well, it's it's great to be here with you, and uh, I'm actually speaking to you from New York, though given the weather that you announced, I may as well be in Dubai. I mean, I'm looking right now, it's 99 in Dubai and 96 in New York, so you tell me. You tell me. I I bet you a little drier in Dubai, though. That's what I would wager. (laughs) A little little less humid over there uh, and more tolerable. But anyway, (laughs) enough about the weather. Um, So this year went by pretty quickly, wouldn't you say? Well, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, if it's a full year, and, and I think that it makes sense for us at this moment to take a look back and see where we come. And if I would have told you this date last year yeah. about what would occur this year, no, no one would have believed it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, would, I would certainly would not have believed if you would have told me. You know, you know what's interesting? A couple of points. First of all, the, um, the warnings, I think that's a good way of putting it, the warnings that we were given by so many in the media, forget about the warnings from other Arab countries and leaders, put those aside for a moment, but the media was convinced that any type of recognition by the UAE of Israel, Israel of the UAE, would put Jewish lives in danger, would make the Middle East explode, would bring us to, the, to a boiling point that we've never seen before. Uh, many of us did not believe that. Uh, it's wonderful, though, a year later to see that none of that really happened. Well, what you've seen is actually just the opposite. I mean, you've seen a flourishing of uh, Jewish life. You know, kosher restaurants being established, kosher uh, organizations being established, multiple minyanim taking place, hundreds of thousands of Israeli visitors. I mean, there were points in the year when every single hotel lobby you walked into, you would hear Hebrew. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, of course, you have, you know, tra- trade is uh, underway, and so, so you've seen just the opposite. And I'll tell you, in, in May, during the war with Hamas, um, people in the UAE were calling their relatives all over in the United States, in Israel, in the UK, in Europe, asking them if they were okay. But the place that people felt safe was, was in the UAE, uh, where there, was, there were no anti-Semitic incidents. But look, uh, um, it, that's the reason why a year later we decided to compose a, a silah uh, just to just to just to say thank you to Hashem for what has occurred and to get us focused with a regional mindset on the things that are really pulling the region together, not pulling them apart. I, I, I mean, I, I need I need you to backtrack for one second because you you just said something so important that I hope I hope people realize what you just stated. There were less anti-Semitic incidents during the height of the Gaza War in May in the UAE than there were in the United States. And you, and you could state that without any reservation. Without reservation. Uh, without reservation. And look, I'm, I'm not primarily a, a political commentator or pundit, but, um, but I think that if, if you do a political analysis, you'll see that, that ultimately when it comes to the 
normalization with uh, Arab states. They're, even though Hamas certainly intended, they said it. They wanted the 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 uh, the war to stop the normalization. Right. They see normalization as an existential threat. When we started, when we launched the Association of Gulf Jewish Communities, you know, bonding together Jews who are living in all each of the um, Gulf states, uh, Hamas of all people came out against it uh, and 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 uh, was critical for it. About it, I mean, more than critical, they condemned it. Why? Because Hamas thrives on the enmity between Arabs and Jews, and any. Uh, reconciliation or, or, or display of not only tolerance but friendship between Arabs and Jews are, uh, is, is like a rocket to Hamas. It, it hurts them. Wow. It really, really hurts them. And so that's why so much of their focus was in May was about disrupting normalization. Rabbi Yehuda Sarna is with us, Chief Rabbi of the UAE. It's a year since the Abraham Accords were signed. The other thing I had to ask you was um, a few weeks ago on this show, um, you know, full disclosure, because it happened while we were on the air. Uh, we were informed by somebody in Israel that this um, secret practice of trying to pray on Harabayit had become much more open, meaning one would not bring a sidur to Harabayit now, but you could actually daven with a minion as they're doing every single day. This was the revelation that happened for us on the air. As they're doing every day now in Harabayit with a minion, uh, without Sidurim, okay, but and people are looking the other way. Um, and whatever, we could discuss why that is and whether the new government has anything to do with it, but forget that for a moment. Um, I heard this, and I started to inquire from people, from other people, not just the one source we had, who I know spend a lot of time on Harabayat, and they made a very interesting comment to me. They said that they feel one of the reasons that there is so much more tolerance, both among the Arabs... Jordan, etc., and the Israelis for this practice on Harabayit is the Abraham Accords. That if if a country like the UAE and Israel can establish friendly relations, uh, then then we then there is an air, an atmosphere of tolerance that seeps to the rest of the Israeli and our world, including one of the hot spots, Harabayit. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, hotspot is the right word. Look, I, 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 I hope so. I hope there is uh, that there is an influence of religious tolerance that emanates from multiple places in the world. Right. Uh, I think what's being built in the UAE, that the Abrahamic family house with a uh, mosque, church, synagogue, separate buildings. Okay, separate buildings, but on the same campus. Um, I, I, I hope that is that becomes kind of a, a, a model. And it, the, the model is not in the, in the architecture. The model is in the recognition that, you know, what one group of people can have their holy site and other people group can have their holy site. And it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. In what way really does the fact that a, um, uh, 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 there's a, a prayer place for Muslims close to a, uh, there's a prayer, a prayer place. How does that lessen the sanctity of a place? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get it. Sometimes one idea of, of Kedusha is, it has to do with exclusivity, right? It's for this purpose and not for another purpose. But if you have separate spaces, like, yeah. I, I don't know, solving these issues on Harbite above my pay grade. And, and I, and I but can't, what I do right. know, what I do know is that there can be 
influence of of uh, of, uh, of mutual respect, you know, when that's set as a tone. But a lot of people use the term warm peace to describe uh, uh, what has occurred over the past year, a warm peace. And the difference between a cold peace and a warm peace is this. A cold peace, people respect the treaty. Warm peace, people respect each other. And, yeah. and, and that's what's got to be. Look, I said it to you. I mean, for for me, I, if I wouldn't have done, if I wouldn't have made the trip to Dubai and broadcasted from there, I, I don't know if I would feel the way I do. But I felt a a a respect, a mutual respect with the people there that I never felt, or I should say more accurately, that in the last thirty years I never felt while being in Jerusalem. And there's there's something to it. There's something to that. And by the way, not to get into this now because we're going way down the road on this, and and I hope to tackle this much more slowly in the future. Uh, but you know, there there are many who would say to you that uh, when it comes to the you know the the um, issue of holiness, kedusha, etc. I, I mean, having a mosque next door to a synagogue, both both religions outrightly proclaiming that they are monotheistic. I don't know if you know that many Torah giants would have a problem with it, frankly. Um, so, I, you know, separate buildings. Yeah, listen, if separate it's separate buildings, buildings yeah. I don't know of anybody who would come out against it. Why? What? Yeah. What, what is the halachic issue? Yeah. I don't think that there's any. As far as I can tell, as far as I've heard, and and by the way, any Godel who I've spoken to about the Abrahamic family house, there's nothing but excitement. Interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Where about Yehuda Sarnas? I'm just I'm processing all of this. <laughs> um, um, rabbi Yehuda Sarnas with us, chief rabbi of the UAE. All right, so there's a special tefillah now. Uh, I don't know how you're going to deal with those in our community who feel that there's no such thing today of uh, of inserting a new tefillah or you know having a new one. It seems to me that 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 those same people find ways to, in fact, uh, create and insert new tefillot when possible, but that's a completely separate issue, Rabbi Sarda, which I'll... Well, this is not being, this, uh, this is not being mandated. I right. don't think people have to. Correct. If someone wants to say a paragraph to Hillen, vakasha, that's just as good. Good. I, I wanted to, what I wanted to do is put something out there. If people did feel like they want to mark this time, whether it's the announcement, August 13th, whether it's the time of the Signing, you know, coming up, which will be uh, September 15th on, on Arab Yom Kippur, with right. the Hebrew Day, the English Day. Right. It's just important for me that we take a moment and say thank you, Takash Baruch Hu, and that just like we prayed for things that occurred this past year, that we continue to dive in for what will come in the future. This takes work. That's what everybody will say. Warm peace, does, it doesn't just happen. It takes risk, it takes work, it takes effort, and it takes tefillah. Let me uh, read some of the excerpts from this. This is your tefillah. You wrote it, correct? Yes. Uh, Hebrew as well? Hebrew, English? The, uh, uh, the Hebrew was adapted by a friend of mine named Ariel Fogelman, so it's not a word-by-word translation. Also, we wanted to keep... Your listeners won't be able to, to, to see this right now because we're just on the air, but but uh, it's an acrostic in English and Hebrew, uh, Abraham, Abraham, um, so... It's not a word-for-word translation. Oh, boy, this is brilliant. I love it. Yeah, I see now the acrostic in both. 
And the, by the way, the, 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 the Hebrew is remarkable. The English ain't so bad uh, as well, by the way. No, uh, no, the Hebrew is much better. Yeah, I mean, the Hebrew because, is because very, you, po- because, very poetic. Because, very, very, very because poetic. Frankly, you, can, you can read the Hebrew. Because, Are we out to the top of this job? You can go ahead and do the Hebrew. Because frankly, when it comes to Tfilot, Hebrew outdoes English. What can I tell you? You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you include here, uh, again, excerpts for everybody. Uh, so we get the theme here. Uh, protect and shine his countenance upon all the children of Sarah, Hagar, and Keturah, along with all others who join in the covenant of Abraham in the land of Israel and in Arab lands. Uh, bless our youth with aspirations of interconnectedness. Right, You were just talking about that. Raise up the destitute from the dirt, and that's, of course, you know, across the board, not just our people. Almighty God, pour your favor upon the religious leaders, educators, artists, and activists who devote their lives to fulfilling your promise by bringing blessing to all the families of the earth. And Rabbi Sarna, I might add to that, by the way, uh, how significant a line that is, because remember, it is the religious leaders, educators, artists, and activists who are the ones who incite violence against Jews when they want to and and, and, and inspire peace and, and inspire peace correct. when they want to exactly and, and this was decidedly this was not a prayer for any government right we were not for this was not right. this was a uh, uh, for to strengthen the hand of uh, 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 of the of civil society leaders religious leaders artists educators I mean think about the classrooms yeah I mean this yep. is this has got to be a piece of the classrooms you know, it, 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 and 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 the more yeah, and we can strengthen the hand of teachers and the art galleries you know, and the lecturers and the and the people who are doing adult education, everybody, a hundred percent. Yeah, honor and yeah. safeguard the freedom of religion, con- uh, religion, uh, conscience, language, education, and culture, and secure our holy. And by the way, that that line is from Israel's Declaration of Independence. Wow. Uh, education and culture and secure our holy sites, sacred books and libraries. As you are our God, our healer, renew our breath in the fact of illness. Uh, as we and that I put in because of the pandemic, of course. The, right. You know, pandemic uh, and, me, in the yeah. face of illness, rather. In the face of illness, we do that which is upright in your eyes. Yeah, imagine this was signed in the height of the pandemic. This was signed in the height of the pandemic last year. August, I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, maybe it wasn't April, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, a really sensitive yeah. time for the entire world. Uh, may you summon the deserts to bloom and the land to sustain us, as the prophet says, uh, with some beautiful quotes, of course. And then finally, we are together, the stars of the heavens and the sands of the seashore. Let us walk in your righteous path and let us say amen. I mean, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, I should have said, by the way, and this one I'm going to do in Hebrew. And, and we don't think about this in this context. That's why it's so important. That's why this prayer is so vital in my opinion because it brings themes to the forefront that we just never think of. You write here, Ki Yishmael v'yitzchak shechavru yachtav l'chabedet avinu Avraham belechto min ha'olam kein techabrenu ba'achdut v'chavod l'chol adam ba'asher hu adam. You write, as 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 they they toil for their own well, uh, par- nations and parties, they toil for their own welfare and the good of others as Isaac and Ishmael join together to honor their father, Abraham. And really, in Hebrew, it is better because it's Avinu Avraham. Avinu. I know, I know, I know. He did a better job than me. He's but, fabulous. But, yeah. but, but, I mean, what an important theme for our for us to remind our children and grandchildren about, that there was a time where the two leaders, the, the two progenies of Abraham, our father Abraham, were together paying tribute properly to him, meaning to Avraham, after his passing, 
and 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 you know and just like that that just like they set that example we could follow in that example anyway i think look I, i'm 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 happy you you're reading it uh, and yeah. and and because i i um we need to stretch our imagination we yep. need to stretch our spiritual I'm imagination i'm telling you you you're you're bringing themes to the forefront that we never considered, you know. We have to. This is the time of year to have our eyes open. I did in our Elul Chesed campaign. I said, you know, that there's certain things that we have always known about as a community, but but until we got slapped in the face with it, we didn't realize, you know, the extent of the problem that we need to solve. Here is another example of that, where of course we know we all went to day school. We know that Avraham had two children that you know that had some relate that had some type of effective relationship with him, but we never associated the fact that you know for generations those two could get along. There could be, as you say, a warm peace between those two factions. Absolutely. So there you Absolutely. go. Absolutely, just—it's all in the Torah. It's on Torah. How do people access the prayer if they want to see it up close and personal, or they have to wait for the RCA it's to on, get it to them? No, no, it's online. It's online. Um, it's on uh, our website, that's there. That's the name of our show in Dubai. Um, and it was uh, a few articles that went out, but maybe if there's a way, nothing for you to send it out to your listeners. Yeah, but once but on, on your website. But let's do this. Slow, uh, let's do this slowly. What, what's the web address where people can find it? Say it again. It's Sharay Mizrach, the S H A. One second, S H A A R E I M I Z R A H, and that is the synagogue in Dubai. That's right. Dot uh, 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 A E is the is the, uh, the end of it. Dot A E, and you go to the yeah, and you go to the homepage, and there it is, and there it is. Just press download. Really beautiful what you did, and it's amazing that it's a year later. And uh, let's hope that this trend continues. Um, I mean, with your with your tefillot, with everyone's yeah, tefillot. Bezrat Hashem. Uh, great speaking to you. Uh, happy anniversary, Rishona. <laughs> okay. Yes, and uh, and keep cool. Okay. Yes, keep cool. I'm going to try my best. Chief Rabbi of the UAE and the the author of the brand new prayer for the Abrahamic family and its covenant in celebration of one year of the Abraham Accords, Rabbi Yehuda Sarna. We thank him very, very much for joining us here on a Thursday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Yehuda Sarna. Jack Chitterelli is Republican candidate for New Jersey governor. He was traveling in Israel when we caught up with him. Here's that conversation on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Wednesday morning on this 11th of August, the 3rd of Elul. Hope you're doing fine and dandy. Our Elul Chesed campaign continues. We will talk more about that in the 8 o'clock hour this morning here at JM in the AM. Well, last week I had the honor of um, of hosting the um, New Jersey Jewish Business Alliance luncheon. And a uh, big thank you again to Dudi Rosenberg and everybody who worked so hard to make that a, real, a really effective uh, organization. And one of the benefits of being there, frankly, was I got to meet Jack uh, Cittarelli. And uh, Jack is the Republican candidate for governor of New Jersey. Yes, some of you may be surprised to hear it as a Republican candidate for governor in the state of New Jersey, but there is, and he's a real winner. I met him, and uh, he has an amazing story, great background, has been a very effective public servant. And right now, as I said earlier in the show, I, I, I was 99% sure. Now I'm 100% sure. Right now he is in the state of Israel, 
and uh, enjoying, no doubt, but no doubt also exploring some of the great things about the Holy Land. Um, you'll find them, by the way, online at a unique website and a unique web address, jack4nj.com. That's jack 4 number 4 nj meaning New Jersey, dot com. Uh, jack Cittarelli, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Malcolm, it's great to be with you, and uh, my compliments. Um, you said my name perfectly last week, and you've done it again here twice this morning. Um, I-, I have trouble with it myself, but you've nailed it three times. I appreciate that. My mother would be proud, so thank you for for, for pointing that out. Uh, before we talk about New Jersey, tell me specifically about this trip. I mean, I-, I can only imagine what you're learning and what you're seeing in the state of Israel. What's it been like for you so far? First, let me say, Nakam, that everyone that um, knew that I was coming to Israel said it would be a life-changing experience, and indeed it has been. Uh, we spent the first day in uh, Tel Aviv, the second day in Jerusalem. Uh, today we've visited Stero, and um, we're meeting with religious leaders, civic leaders, and, and certainly business leaders. Uh, I'm laying the groundwork for what a Chedorelli administration will do in partnership with our sister nation to improve relations, um, but certainly to continue with economic development in New Jersey. There's a great many entrepreneurs here that are looking to expand their business operations, and when they do, we want them to do that in New Jersey. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I always point this out to New Jersey public officials for some reason, and I'm a New Jersey kid, as you know, moved to New York when I got married, and, and uh, there's always been this comparison between Israel and New Jersey. Israel is the, basically the same size as New Jersey. There's always been this partnership with New Jersey. It seems that government has always uh, been quite friendly uh, when it comes to uh, you know issues regarding, meaning New Jersey government, uh, issues regarding Israel. There, there always has, has, there's been a symbiotic relationship between the Garden State and the State of Israel. Have you discovered that? I really have, and I've seen the beauty. I've now seen the beauty, or rather, I've now learned the danger. Um, but I've also met uh, a great many entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, that makes it very, very exciting here from an economic vitality standpoint. And um, again, we, we hope that those people will do business in New Jersey. But it's been a magnificent learning experience. Uh, I'll be coming home uh, late today. Right. Um, but I will tell you, it's been three straight days of exceptional learning. And, uh, and I look forward as governor, uh, to working with our sister nation here, Israel. Yeah, it's pretty marvelous what people can accomplish in three days in Israel. You could uh, you could go north to south and see most of the country in that time, and no doubt you probably have. Now, Election Day, I'm assuming, and Jack Cittarelli is with us live via telephone, Republican candidate uh, for governor of uh, New Jersey. Um, uh, obviously, we're talking about, uh, you know, a couple of months away, Election Day, and uh, there are people who are, I don't know if the word is satisfied or are simply impressed by the way that uh, the current governor was able to um, you know, manage things in the state um, uh, during the pandemic. Um, I, I think some of the things he did were questionable. Uh, in, in light of yesterday's news, I'm sure you, ha- you know what happened here in this state regarding uh, the leadership, uh, regarding the governor's position. I was a little confused why the governor of New Jersey felt it necessary to be part of an alliance with other governors and be concerned with what was happening in other states in the region during the whole pandemic. Did that seem bizarre to you, and especially in light of yesterday's news that he would associate with what was going on in other states? It does seem bizarre, uh, Nakam. It seems as though he's always looking for cover and can't seem to, to act 
uh, at all, ever unilaterally, mm. um, in, in governing our state, providing leadership. We even saw that with the recent example of asking for Andrew Cuomo's resignation. He couldn't fly solo. He had to do it in partnership with four or five other Democratic governors. We've seen this time and again uh, with the governor. He just doesn't seem to want to demonstrate leadership. And again, with regard to his handling the pandemic, New Jersey leads the nation in nursing home deaths because he ordered nursing homes to take in COVID-19 patients. One out of three small businesses have closed their doors forever because of his lockdowns, that in my opinion, were for too much for too long, and his lack of leadership in getting our children back in school. And with regard to schools come this September, he just recently made the decision of a K-12 student mask mandate, uh, which really goes against the grain of the vast majority of parents who want that to be their decision. Um, this certainly does inhibit learning. It does infringe upon a student's emotional and intellectual development. And I just feel very strongly. I'm all about public health and safety. But I really do believe the decision as to where or not, whether or not children should be wearing masks should be left up to the parents. Yeah, well, in addition to that issue, which you've been very strong on, really the, the two things that you've been focusing on and, and what else is there to focus on, public safety, you'd like to see rule of law, uh, seep back into our society, especially in the state of New Jersey, where you care about the most, rightfully so. And then, of course, you'd like to see a lower property taxes and the ability for somebody who's raising a family in New Jersey to make it financially. You bet, Nakam. And let's take a look at what's happened in three and a half years in office. He increased personal income taxes. He increased the business tax. It's now the highest in the nation. Increased property taxes. On top of significant gas tax increases, he increased tolls. And by the way, the public hearings on the toll increase, he allowed and ordered to go forward during the shelter-in-place order. He borrowed $4.5 billion he didn't need to. And he told everybody that if Joe Biden was the president here in New Jersey, we would get back the salt deduction, the ability for us to deduct our state and local taxes on our federal tax return. That isn't going too well. Joe Biden has said no. Right. I can't think of any governor who has been more reckless with regard to the, the fiscal management of the state. Uh, this is the most anti-woman governor we've ever had with his track record with regard to women. The most anti-police, which is why crime is up around the state. And we're seeing things like closures, curfews along the Jersey Shore and the cancellation of firework displays. This isn't the New, the New Jersey I know and love. We need to get back there. Jack Cittarelli is with us. He's in Israel right now. He is candidate for uh, governor of New Jersey on the Republican side. Uh, I'm assuming you have another couple of minutes for me. I, I know that the, obviously you're really, really busy over there, which I totally get. Um, what, what did you think of the, uh, I'm sure you've seen it. What do you think of the video? Uh, and I'm not, I'm not taking a position on, on the vaccinations. I think po everyone who listens to this show understands I've done nothing other than encourage our listeners and people in our community, uh, because our community split on this issue, as you know, you know, to get vaccinated. And, and we've certainly tried to bring on responsible voices. What do you think of that video where he was condemning those who were, uh, concerned about the vaccination, who were protesting against the mandate of having to be vaccinated in order to enter certain facilities? Uh, that's not leadership, nor is it mutual respect. Like you, Nakam, uh, I am vaccinated. I encourage people to get vaccinated. I promoted it when I was vaccinated. But at the same time, I respect people's personal choices. And, uh, and I believe that's the right public policy. And um, listen, between the Delta variant and more and more employers forcing it upon their employees, I do think we'll see more vaccinations. Um, but um, to me, the, the governor is starting, if you will, to crack uh, under the pressure um, that he's feeling brought onto it by himself with his own public policies 
and the way he goes about communicating his policies. Here's another example this week. You know, you do a you do a K through 12 student mask mandate and then you run out of the country for 11 days to your Italian villa. Yeah, I hear that. Um, yeah, the uh, starting to crack is an interesting way to put it because the reaction that he had in that video is certainly one that seemed bizarre. And by the way, people who are listening, and I know there are plenty of people who are listening who are, uh, uh, especially in the state of New Jersey, we know what direction the state's been going in, uh, people in our community who would like Governor Murphy to come onto this show, we welcome that. You could certainly uh, arrange it with me, but uh, I, I want to tell you something. I met Jack uh, Cittarelli last week, and I'm glad I did. It put a... Uh, it put a face behind the name of uh, of the person who's running for governor in New Jersey, who's on the Republican side, and he just made a tremendous impression. And Jack, uh, and by the way, he's in Israel right now. If you're just tuning in, uh, Jack, I, I mean, finally, I, I've got to say it, and I and I, I, I'm sure you have a good answer for it, but you know that the what the direction is in the state of New Jersey, and you know what the um, likelihood is in terms of um, uh, in terms of the voting block. Um, and and which way it's going and which way it's going to sway on election day? Um, is is there a way to uh, convince enough people in the state of New Jersey that the direction that the state's been going in uh, is simply not good for New Jersey's future? Is there a way for your message? Which again, if I wouldn't have met you, I don't know if it would have been as effective. The problem is you can't meet every resident of New Jersey. Is there a way to get this message across and make real progress? Hey, listen, Nakam, a campaign is defined by its candidate, its energy, and its message. And I'm very confident in all three. And there is a pathway to victory here. I'm not the sacrificial lamb of the Republican Party, uh, nor am I on any type of uh, um, a fool's errand. I'm in it to win it and know this. In New Jersey, over the last four-plus decades, Republicans have won six of the last ten gubernatorial elections. In fact, no incumbent Democratic governor has been reelected in more than 43 years. Not Jim Florio, not Jim McGreevy, not John Corzine. And I think Bill Murphy's actually worse than all three of them combined. Um, he's not mainstream. He's not Main Street. So there's a real opportunity. And one more very compelling point, Malcolm. Two years ago, Bill Murphy lost his midterms. Two years ago, Republicans did something they hadn't done in 28 years. We picked up seats in the state legislature, and in my mind, that was the beginning of the beginning of the rejection of Bill Murphy's policies. So there's a real opportunity here, and I'm not suggesting it's going to be easy. It's not supposed to be. But know this. I'm in it to win it, and there's a pathway to victory. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Look, uh, I, I'm so glad we met. I, I mean, there's no question you uh, you laid out both of the event where I saw you in this morning uh, a, a a relatively simple plan uh, to get things on track in the state of New Jersey. And we know that um, the governors who've gone back to basics over the last year or two around this country, those are the states that are flourishing. I think you'd agree with that, right? I would agree with that 100%. Knock. I'm an MBA CPA and two-time uh, successful small business owner in New Jersey. I know exactly what it is we need to do to make New Jersey a much more compelling place to do business, a place, a place that creates good-paying jobs, a place where people feel confident they can achieve their American dream. And that's what my comments were all about uh, last week when we met at the New Jersey Jewish Business Alliance. I mean, that type of audience is a real sweet spot for me because I'm telling you, um, we're going to be open for business when I'm governor, and that's what this trip to Israel is very much about. Yeah, well, our, our community certainly is thankful for that. Uh, Jack, good luck. The website is jack4nj.com, jack, the number four, nj.com uh have a safe trip back and thanks to the report from the holy land knock and thank you for the opportunity i'm looking forward to next time
appreciate that very much. I am as well. Jack Cittarelli is the Republican candidate for governor in the state of New Jersey. And uh, frankly, before last week, I don't know if I would have uh, if I would have been able to identify who the Republican candidate for governor in the state of New Jersey is. Um, but we had an opportunity to meet, and he was very, very impressive. Very impressive. Um, we'll see what happens. Website is jack4nj.com. Governor of the state of New Jersey, uh, you are more than invited uh, to speak with us about all these issues on the air and make your case to be reelected in November. That was my conversation with Republican candidate for New Jersey Governor Jack Chitterelli. Rabbi Klibanoff, Rabbi Sam Klibanoff, spiritual leader of Congregation Aids Chaim in Livingston, join me to discuss our amazing JM in the AM, Nachum Single Network, Elul Chesed Initiative. Rabbi Klibanoff of Congregation Aids Chaim in Livingston, that conversation on JM Rewind right now on the Nachum Single Network. Well, one of the people who was uh, most enthusiastic about our uh, Nissan Chesed campaign, and no doubt is enthusiastic about the fact that we have announced an Elul Chesed campaign, is Rabbi Sam Klibanoff. You may recall that we visited Congregation Eitzchayim in Livingston, New Jersey, just a couple of months ago. Had an amazing show with some great guests, uh, with Rabbi Klibanoff and many others, and... um, it was during that show that we spoke about the uh, not only the synagogue in the community and what's going on in Livingston with the synagogue is amazing, but we spoke about the responsibility that congregations, specifically his, uh, take to help as many people as possible worldwide in our community. It's one of the reasons why his congregation was one of the groups that really, really reacted uh, to the Chesed campaign that we had in um, back in Nissan before Pesach. So I asked Rabbi Klibanoff to join me. As we uh, continue to accelerate, I know it's still three and a half weeks before Yontif, but we are accelerating, slowly accelerating the Elul Chesed campaign here at JM in the AM. Rabbi Sam Klibanoff, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Great to be here with you. I appreciate that very much. Let me bring everyone up to speed as to what's going on. We have a Elul Chesed campaign where we're simply, again, asking people to do nice things for others before Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, whether it be financial or otherwise. It could be a small gesture. It could be something that costs no money. It could be giving someone the thousands of dollars they need or a small amount of money they need, whatever it might be, before Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. We have specifically designated, and again, I, I stress that we have no vested interest in this other than seeing a lot of people get what they need. Um, uh, Leora Teji, our dear friend in Yerushalayim, continues to provide every single week massive packages of food. For terror victims and their families, those who have been put in very difficult financial situations, the majority of them because they literally were victims of terror attacks over the last 20 years. So we're recommending terror-victims.org.il, terror-victims.org.il. People can give there, give any amount, and participate. And I just want to share, and I'll ask for your patience for a moment, Rabbi Klibanoff. I just want to share with everybody a uh, just an example of what Leora Teji sent me yesterday. And I had an opportunity to read some of this on the air yesterday morning. She is spending $4,000 in advance of Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot on challahs. She's spending $2,500 before Rosh Hashanah on honey. She is spending uh, $1,500 before Yuntif on onions, $4,500 on carrots, over $6,000 on apples, $50,000 on chickens. Um, seltzer, cases of seltzer, $1,500 before Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. Just to give you an example 
of what it costs to help multiple families in Yerushalayim and other parts of Israel who are in difficult situations before Yontas. That's been our recommendation. Then yesterday, last night, was the Kupath Ezra uh, the Kupath Ezra um, uh, fundraiser, the the annual Summer Asifa. I had the pleasure of uh, hosting it. It was pre-recorded. I was hired to do so. I was very open about that. But one of the things we discovered, uh, because of Kupath Ezra's work, they opened up our eyes to a specific segment of our community, single mothers and their children. And we, of course, always now say single parents and their children because they're multiple um, uh, people that are involved in situations like this, men and women. Um, but, of course, the majority of them are women. Uh, so they were focusing on single mothers and their children. And they brought this category to our attention, and I included this in my pitch that people should keep this category in mind. And Rabbi Klibanoff, this is a category that's not just in New York and New Jersey. It's nationwide and it's international. And isn't it interesting how sometimes we just need our eyes opened to specific people in really difficult situations who are in need of our help? I mean, yes, because we're, we're always aware of so many causes around us, and, you know, we wish uh, we could help every single one. And then, you know, I, I just noticed in the news, and it just struck me that it was 20 years since the Sabaro right. terror attack. And it occurred to me that we probably kind of lost focus because it was right before 9-11. Right. And so many families, you know, have been affected, and uh, it's, somebody just has to open your eyes to it. And if we could see it and say, like, you know, here's something tangible that you can do, uh, which is exactly the experience that we had in Nissan, and I'm so, so happy that you're uh, bringing this to the fore again because, you know, we always say, like, you know, you say it's too early, but I say repent now and avoid the June rush. <laughs> <laughs> we, we said it's never too early to have the, uh, the mitzvahs and the merits and the zechuyos, so call a kavod to you. Well, I appreciate that, and that's why I asked you on. I asked you on because of the timing of this. I And you could, you could ask my wife, you could ask my staff, I have had this pent-up energy since Tisha B'Av, since the trip back from Israel. I've had this pent-up energy to get to this Chesed campaign. I couldn't stop talking about it. At home, I was bouncing around different ideas of what to implement and what to announce because there's so many different angles. By the way, I didn't even mention Rabbi Klibanoff, something really dear to your heart and to your congregation's collective heart, which is that NCSY is opening Great Adventure this year, and we are again asking people not only to give tickets for underprivileged families but to focus on single parents and their children this time around. So there's just so many components. It's endless, as I know you know. But I had all this pent-up energy, and I was so excited to get here Monday morning because I had announced for weeks that it would be Rosh Chodesh Elul that we announced this. And I'm sitting in Shul Shabbos morning, and please, people, do not criticize me for not realizing this until laning took place, okay? (laughs) Please don't criticize me for that. Thank God I realized it during laning. And we're reading Parshas Re'eh on Erev Rosh Chodesh Elul. On Air Rosh Hashanah, Nahum Siegel is sitting there waiting to get on the air Monday morning to talk about Chesed. And it's and it's Rosh Hashanah, literally, and Parshas Re'eh is my son's bar mitzvah sedra is being read. And we come across Perek Tesvav, uh, Psukim, let's see, it's Psukim Zayin through Yud Aleph. And I'm going to read it in English so everybody out there is included and nobody, uh, you know, and everyone will understand what's going on. If there's a destitute, and I'll, I'll paraphrase, sum up, etc. as I do this. If there's a destitute person among you, any of your brethren, anywhere, in the land that Hashem has given you, you shall not harden your heart or close your hand against your brother. Rather, you should open your hand to him, lend him his requirement, whatever is lacking. Beware lest there be a lawless thought in your heart. What's the lawless thought? 
The seventh year is approaching, and we are approaching a Shemitah year, folks, aren't we? And the Torah actually says this. The seventh year is approaching, and you'll look upon your destitute brother and refuse to give him, and he may appeal to you against you to Hashem, and it'll be a sin upon you. You should surely give him. What's the point? The point is during Shemitah or in advance of Shemitah, people are panicking that they're not going to have enough food. They're not going to have food during the year that the land is laying fallow. So they're going to panic. And if someone asks them for their needs, if someone asks them for what they need, they're not going to give it to them because they have to worry about their own. <sighs> Seventh year approaches. You'll look upon your destitute brother and refuse to give him. Surely give him and let your heart not feel bad when you give him. For in return for this matter, Hashem will bless you in all your deeds and in your every undertaking. Yevarechecha. Biglal hadavar hazeh. Yevarechecha. Hashem alokecha. Bechol masecha. Bechol mishlach yadecha. For destitute people will not cease to exist within the land. Therefore I command you, open your hand to your brother, to your poor, and to your destitute in your land. So, Rabbi Klibanov, I am in shul Shabbos morning, <laughs> and we come across this paragraph, and I'm saying to myself, oh my gosh, what a coincidence. We're on Erev, Erev or Shchodesh Elul. I am focusing on what people need for Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, and Erev Shemitah year, and look what God's saying to us. God's saying, no matter what reason you come up with, even the best of reasons, that you know it's going to be a hard year coming up. So the best of reasons you have to say no to your friend who's in need, not only should you give, you should give, because if you do give, you're going to be blessed like crazy. What are your thoughts? I just told you my thoughts as this was being read. What do you think of this passage in the Torah? Amazing. So I have one of my uh, congregants, a dear congregant, Laser Rosenberg. He says that there's no such thing as a coincidence. It's just God is waving hello. Yep. And that, first of all, that's the passage that we always read before Yisker. Right. That's why we have the mitzvah to give uh, tzedakah before Yisker. Right. And if you look at many of the mefarshim there, many of the Torah commentaries, they emphasize the fact that there's always a double language used. Patoch tiftach naton titain. And I, I, I recall that in the commentary of Rabbi Shamsram Fal Hirsch, he says there that the reason the double emphasis when all the giving mitzvahs are because anyone has the ability to be involved, wealthy or not. You can give, everybody can give something. And it's not necessarily giving funds, but if you give your attention, you give your ear, you give your kindness, you give your resources, you give your skill. Your time. The, exactly. Ramosha Vantian is a chuva about giving maizah, that you have to give 10% of your time. Wow. It's a dhaka. Wow. And I, I'll tell you this also. I, when I was in, we missed each other in Israel, and I feel so fortunate my wife and I were able to go to Israel. I almost feel guilty saying it. <laughs> um, but we had the opportunity to sit in, in Harbracha with Rabbi Lezer Malamed. I don't know if any, too many people know here in America, but he's considered sort of like the preeminent posek Tam Chacham in the Dati Lumi community in the yeshiva world in Harbracha. Right. And I asked him sort of, what's the message, like what should the message be for American Jewry? And he, he virtually quoted this Pasuk, and he said that through you should come bracha. That you should be the source, we should inspire other people to bring blessing into the world. And in all the years that I've known you, I don't think I can recall a time where you have been more enthusiastic, and you get pretty enthusiastic about a lot of things. <laughs> But I can't recall you being more enthusiastic than you were in Nissan, and now you are in Elul because, you know what, you're in the mitzvah business. 
and that's just it's absolutely phenomenal. And your your enthusiasm rubs off on others, and that's what inspired us. And I'm, I'm sure it inspires thousands of others during this period as we go into the Yemen Arim. So that's that's really incredible on your part. Well, I appreciate that. Sometimes it takes a lifetime to learn a lesson, but I'm glad at least you know we're happy that we actually learn it because there are a lot of people who go a lifetime and never learn a lesson. It's taken a while to get to this point, and there has been enthusiasm over the last many decades for many different things, including mitzvos. But now we've really stepped up our game. Now we are just you know I, I am all in, so to speak, when it comes to reminding people how any little gesture, anything, on a weekly basis before a Shabbos, certainly before Yuntif. And really all year round, but you know how it is. You can't if you do a campaign twelve months a year, it's not an effective campaign. <laughs> so so we don't do it year round, but we designate specific times to talk about specific things, like we've done with, you know, no 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 secret, like we've done with the with the great adventure ticket thing. I don't think anybody else uh, was focused on on how those could be uh, uh, important methods of giving stucca. Uh, by designating tickets, and now we've adjusted that a drop. That in addition to the families that we want to help, we have to keep in mind specifically people who are in really, really difficult situations. As uh, as um, Kupath Ezra opened my eyes, single mothers, single parents, and their children who are in really difficult situations. And that is, by the way, folks, such an effective manner to give your time, homework, learning, taking a kid to shul uh, where the mother's not able to. Um, uh, certainly finances, uh, no question about it. But there's so many little things that can be rides when it's impossible. One of the things, you know, one of the Hasidic men that I interviewed last night in the roundtable, Rabbi Klibanoff, made such a point, and and maybe because of his background, I I didn't even, you know, it it looked a little unexpected to me. But I mean, you know, he's a father, and he he made the same point any other father would, and that was that when two parents are coordinating. You know, I'll pick up this one. You do this. You know, can you cover me on this? You know, you, at least you have a partner. You have a partner who's able to. When you're alone. Imagine a parent who's alone has to navigate all of that aside from the breadwinning, but has to navigate just the, the, the machinations, just the logistics of the home. It's, it's, it's almost impossible. I'm sure you come across this on a regular basis. People who are in situations where they're just, you know, where the loneliness is, is difficult psychologically and loneliness is difficult practically. And, and it comes out most around Yuntif. Right. Which are family oriented times. Right. And, it, and, yeah, and you have the. the the two things coming together of Yuntif and the beginning of school. Right. You know, there's so much preparation that has to take place for school in terms of buying clothes or school supplies, uh, coordinating rides to and from school, the orientations when they have those half days to begin, things like that. And then you have Yuntif, and there's so many people who are in that segment of the community that kind of feel alienated uh, because everybody has big families together, and, and people are in a situation where they don't. It's something that you know we don't think about, so yep. you're bringing it to our attention. And there's another, by the way, there's another late August pressure. I remember I remember, I once said to my wife in, uh, at the beginning of August, why is there so much money in the bank? And she said, we haven't paid tuition during the summer. It's only 10 months in a year. I said, oh, yeah, that's why. So you know how many people are trying to arrange how they're going to be able to pay tuition starting at the end of August? That's another big headache and, and difficulty that people are facing, whether they, you know, have a partner or not. So all of this, together, it's endless. It's endless. I could sit here all day with you, and as we did in Nissan, and think of a million ways that people could help others. And, you know, so like I say, it's endless. But uh, but we got to start somewhere. So some of these things I'm bringing to people's attention will hopefully strike their fancy. I, again, want to just emphasize that those of you who want to help the poor of Jerusalem, Leora Tedji continues on a, I don't know how she does it, every single week, what an effort to deliver food to people in great need. And now before uh, Yuntif, uh, $50,000 worth of chicken 
uh, and so many other categories I went through before. Uh, you can go to terror-victims.org.il. Simply hit the donate button, terror-victims.org.il. Simple as that. And all the other information about all the things that we're bringing up, whether it's great adventure tickets or anything else, we will certainly get to as we get closer and closer to the holiday. But right now, it's just a matter of laying the groundwork, the framework for what hopefully will be a chesed-filled month leading up to um, leading up to Rosh Hashanah. And all we ask for, Rabbi Klibanov, is a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. I can't give any guarantees, but based on the psukim that you and I were just discussing, the odds are better. Once you, once you give to others, the odds are better that one will be blessed with what they want in the brand new year. Yes, well, also in those psukim, we have Aser to Aser about giving a tenth. Right. And Chazal teaches us that's one of the areas you're allowed to test God. You're allowed to say, look, I did my part. I'm showing you the books. Right. You, have to, you have to pay back tenfold. So, Aser Kadeshit Pesha Sher. So, uh, we don't do it on that condition, right. but uh, we certainly we, we do it for the right reasons, and we hope that, um, you know, because of campaigns such as the one you're running right now and bringing to our attention people that we may not have thought of or causes we may not have thought of or acts of kindness that we could do that we may not have thought of that we'll be in better stead when it comes to the Yemei Hadin. Yeah. So, Amen that's, to that. That's the whole idea, and, and we should, you should just continue with your, your strength and your uh, ability to bring this message to so many people because uh, you have the platform. As I always say it when I'm here, you're the rabbi of Kal Yisrael, <laughs> so you, uh, you, are, you are teaching us well. You leave me speechless, but I thank you so much. Continued success to you. Best regards to the entire congregation at time and to your family out in Livingston, New Jersey. And whether we speak before or not, I will take this opportunity to wish you a Shana Tova Mituka. Thank you. Same to you. And uh, we are all in with you as well. I appreciate that very much. Uh, one of the things that, uh, one of the greatest feelings we had in Nissan was knowing that leaders like Rabbi Klibanov and his shul were just getting more and more and more active in the area of chesed. And trust me, they are always active in the area of chesed. It's not like they discovered it because of me. Uh, but they were getting more and more and more involved as they heard more and more about our campaign, which is just amazing and incredible. More coming up. It is a uh, Wednesday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Sam Klibanov. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Make sure to tune in to JMNAM every single weekday morning and keep it right here, 24 hours a day, on the Nahum Single Network.